This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is July 27th, and we've got a great episode today with Stephen Ranella, the meat eater. And uh, Steve and I have known each other for a while, and we've been on a few hunts together and uh, we share a mutual friend Giannis Patelis, a good friend of Dar and I's used to work at Colbert and Scott Outfitters uh, guiding elk hunters uh, is the producer of the Meat Eater TV show and so this episode is one that I've been looking forward to for quite a while. Um, Dar and I were fortunate to be on the Meat Eater podcast um, it hasn't aired yet. It'll probably be airing probably sometime in the next month or so. But uh, we've had a lot of fun with Steve and Giannis. And uh, if you haven't listened to the Meat Eater podcast, uh, you need to. It's a, a very good, very entertaining. Uh, it's one of the most popular hunting podcasts uh, out there. And so check them out on iTunes. Um, it's going to be a great episode. Before we get into that, guys, I want to talk about the GoHunt.com Insider. This is the fourth and final week of the tag giveaway. They've been giving away tags the whole month of July. They've given away an antelope tag, a mule deer tag, an elk tag, uh, and now they are giving away a Utah North Cash any legal weapon elk tag with a retail value of $7,000. The hunt dates are September 12th through September 20th of 2015. Uh, all you have to do is be an insider member to be eligible for the drawing of the hunt. Now keep in mind, about a month ago, they gave away a $22,500 Dull Sheep Hunt to Nahani Butte Outfitters. And so there's an insider member now going to uh, Nahani Butte here probably in about a week to hunt Dull Sheep just for being an insider member. Um, the season dates are during this rut. So September 12th through the 20th. And the bulls are in the 280 to 350 range. And this is an incredible opportunity for any elk hunter. The North Cache unit has a great bull to cow ratio and gives hunters the chance to harvest an elk during the peak of the rut. I thought I would also uh, make note that the Utah Double R CWMU Mule Deer Tag, uh, that winner is going to be released today on the GoHunt.com website. And that is going to be released around 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So I uh, hope one of the J. Scott Outdoors listeners is um, one of the winners. Uh, hope that I win the tag, to be honest with you. Hope, hope one of you or hope I win the tag. Uh, I'm a GoHunt.com Insider member. And one of the benefits of being an Insider member is all of these tags that they give away. Uh, it's great stuff. I want to let you guys know about uh, the promo code. Uh, when you're signing up for GoHunt.com Insider, so if you want to try and win this uh, North Cash um, Elk Hunt, all you have to do is be an Insider member. So go to GoHunt.com forward slash Insider. Click on the blue Join Now button. Use the promo code JSCOTT and you will win a $50 Kuyu gift card. So you can use that. They will send you electronically a $50 Kuyu gift card that you can use at a company that uh, is dear to Darnay's heart. Uh, it's a company, uh, I've been on hunts with Jason Harrison, the president, uh, the founder of Kuyu. And to see the passion that he has for his product 
and making the best outdoor gear, hunting gear possible. Um, he's very driven and he never stops. And so this is a great opportunity to sign up for GoHunt.com Insider, get a $50 Kuyu gift card and uh, get some great Kuyu gear. We're going to be hearing from uh, Jason Harrison in just a bit. Uh, I've got a clip here, um, and Jason's going to be talking about the Chinook series uh, of Kuyu. And um, it's very informative. It's short. It's about three minutes. Um, but it, it gives you a good insight into the Chinook product. Guys, I want to close here uh, before we get into the episode with Stephen Ranella. And I want to tell you about... Uh, another one of the sponsors of this podcast, DeadeyeOutfitters.com, is a lifestyle hunting apparel company for hunters by hunters. If you check out episode 45 of this podcast, you'll get to hear one of the owners, and I interview one of the owners, Nikolai Kavilia, and you'll see what I mean. He's a diehard hunter. Deadeye Outfitters makes quality t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hats designed with hunters in mind. They also, Deadeye Outfitters, also has the license for creating the Boone and Crockett apparel. So Boone and Crockett has come to Deadeye Outfitters and given them the licensing rights on all Boone and Crockett apparel. You guys know what I think about Boone and Crockett. Um, Help support Boone and Crockett because where hunting happens, conservation happens. It's one of the best conservation organizations in the, in the world. Guys, use the J. Scott promo code and receive a 10% discount on all purchases at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. All right, guys, let's get right into the episode. But first, let's hear from Jason Hairston of Kuyu about the Chinook series. Hey, guys, I want to bring to your attention today the Chinook jacket and pants and tell you why I love these pieces. One's the versatility. It's a soft shell fabric that's really unique in the fact that we use a very thin nylon face fabric from the Stunner Stretch collection of Torre. What you get out of Stunner Stretch is it's a really durable, stretchable nylon that uh, wears really, really tough, but keeps the weight down for a soft shell. And it's backed with a micro-check backer that allows for maximum breathability and versatility out of this piece. So. Um, what I get out of the Chinook is a early to mid-season pant that you can layer up underneath, and it functions and performs really well in the late season. I call it the do-it-all pant. I can take it from uh, September elk hunts all the way to December deer hunts. And it's got the most technical build out of all of our pants. The fact that it has zippered hand pockets, double zippered cargo pockets, so you can organize stuff within your cargos on both sides. And then it's got our welded knee pad design that lets you have knee protection when you need it, but you don't have the cumbersomeness or uh, the challenges of a thick inserted knee pad. So you don't even know it's there when you're wearing it, uh, but it's there when you need it. And it's treated with DWR. It's quiet. It's actually incredibly quiet for a lightweight soft shell. And it's a pant that I've learned uh, to absolutely love, and I take on probably 80% of my hunts. The Chinook jacket was designed for earlier season and warm weather hunts when you need soft shell protection, but you don't need the warmth of our guide jacket. And it's, uh, it's got the same fabric as the pants, so you're going to get lots of versatility out of this fabric as far as breathability and function. Uh, it's got two great sized chest pockets for storage of a lot of, lot of gear uh, that you might need in this jacket. Zippered hand pockets, comes with pit zips. You know, the versatility of this fabric makes an excellent pant and jacket. If you don't have it in your arsenal of gear, I really, really recommend it. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a real special guest. We've got Steve Ranella of the Meat Eater TV show. I've known Steve for a couple years now, and um, Steve, Steve's producer of the Meat Eater TV show, uh, Giannis Patelis, is a good friend of, of mine and good friend of, of Dar's, and um, I'm Fortunate to have Steve on the show today. Steve, how you doing? Good, good. Well, I've been wanting. To I know it's your deal here, but I want to just tell your listeners in case they don't know. <laughs> here we go. Jay Scott <laughs> is the most cautious, careful hunter I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> paranoid. This is the word an- anal. <laughs> is paranoid. 
<laughs> good effect. <laughs> do you do you have any stories to back that up? The one we laugh about all the time is hunting with you, hunting with your host Jay Scott for turkeys, and we were filming, and you know the turkeys aren't even like thinking about waking up yet. You know, <laughs> there's like a little teeny green light on a camera, like the size of a pen head. <laughs> Jay is obsessed about that light. All the problems <laughs> that pinhead side green light is going to cause. To the point where we had to get tape out and cover that little teeny light up. <laughs> I I remember between uh, Mo and I, there was enough intensity uh, on on the shoot that morning that um, yeah, that was pretty funny. I look over and I see that light, and that <laughs> turkey's up there gobbling, and I'm thinking, you know. That turkey's going to see that light. And I go, that light, that light. And you're like, huh, that light. you got to cover that up. And you guys thought I was nuts. The other thing about Jay, I'll tell you, is if you hunt with Jay, <laughs> like about a month out, put yourself into quarantine inside a bubble because should you have the sniffles? <laughs> should you have the sniffles while hunting with Jay? He'll give you mean looks. Jay doesn't like anyone going, <laughs> You know, the funny thing, my nephew was ta telling a story to his girlfriend today um, when we were driving back from fishing, and he's talking about he went turkey hunting with me this spring, and um, we were taking actually the Arizona uh, raffle turkey hunter, the guy that won won the tag. He bought a ticket and got drawn and w won the raffle, and um, Jay was telling a story where I was doing the same thing, being super anal, and and um, particular about all these different details. My biggest thing, Steve, is I just don't want any outside factors to affect hey, man, the hunt. I, you're taking the words out of my mouth. I was just going to come in and say, because I'm not, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not trying to rag on you. <laughs> you know, we, I think you and I talked about this before. You, and I respect this, and I admire it, and I, and I want to be that, more that way. And I'll tell you, it, it goes in degrees because a lot of people accuse me of being that way, and then I turn around and, and I'm they should hunt with this guy. <laughs> why yeah there's so many unknowns and so many things outside of your control it's like why not because it's not like there's ever going to be a situation where you'd be glad you had light glowing on your camera you're never gonna be like oh we wouldn't have got that turkey if it weren't for that green light you know so turn the light off yeah. it's not going to make you happy to have it it's like you just don't know you know you don't know how they're going to respond to it so shut it down because why have you know, controllable things not be remedied. I'm with you, man. I'm with you, Jay Scott. And, you know, I think I, I'll, I will be honest. I hear that a lot from people that hunt with me. And they, I'm sure you do. You know, I'm sure you do they, they think that I'm way over the top. And, you know, poor Dar, he has to put up with it all the time. And, you know, we're both pretty particular, but I'm definitely way more outspoken about, you know, if I see something that's going to affect our outcome, I'm going to, whereas Dar might not voice his opinion. Um, but that also probably goes to show how you guys haven't come back and hunted with me if I was so, so over the top anal that. Uh, no, uh, no, that's not. <laughs> I'd, I'd come back just to watch you be paranoid. <laughs> The only way your paranoia would cause a problem is if it prevented you from having fun. But I do believe you're having fun. Yeah, it's uh, you know, you know what made me that way mostly is coos deer. I think kind of being a coos deer hunter and and cutting my teeth, so to speak, on coos deer and and seeing how wary those animals were and seeing how all the little things add up to you know uh, either being successful or not being successful and. I know that you, you've enjoyed hunting coos deer uh, several times. Um, give me your impressions of coos deer hunting and, you know, maybe what you noticed uh, uh, from what maybe you perceived and then maybe what you noticed as a reality. You know, it's so hard because, like, it's funny. You know, I grew up hunting whitetails, man. And, um, and I think that's why guys that call them coos deer, that you don't just say, like, whitetails. Or like desert whitetails because it's just nothing like hunting whitetails, you know. And if you hadn't grown up with that like Midwest whitetail experience, um, I think that you wouldn't spend so much time sitting there wondering like how these could be the same animals, you know, because they're so different. But I think that 
people talk about Kuzier being so wary, you know, and the, the, like I, I call you paranoid. They're paranoid deer. But I don't really think that they're any more paranoid than the eastern whitetail, but it's just you have the opportunity in coos deer country because it's open country. You have the opportunity to visually see their paranoia mm-hmm. rather than having it go unseen, but you know it's happening. Mm-hmm. To be like if you've got an area where you know whitetails like the bed and you're just in typical eastern U.S. thick country, right, mm-hmm. and you encroach on that area right? Those deer know you're there. I think just as quickly as a desert whitetail or a coosier knows you're there, but you're not able to watch him through your binoculars. He just is like getting out of town without you ever even know he got out of town, you know? So in some way, hunting coosier and seeing how unapproachable they are and how nervous they are is sort of, uh, you sort of go back and think to yourself, oh, so that's why you don't walk up on mature whitetail bucks in Michigan accidentally, you know. So what you're saying is it almost gives you a chance to observe whitetail and things that you've always heard in the Midwest or in the East of them being so wary, but a lot of times you can't see them. Now you can see yeah. them. So now that's why people think coos deer are so much wary, but you're saying in reality they're probably about the same. I would, you I just... would think so. I think it's like the same way that if you, you know, if, if like with Kuzier, you got a um, visual lock on a bedded buck, okay? So you're sitting there and you see a buck, and, you know, maybe he's a mile away. You got a visual lock on him laying there. And you go to think, well, I'm going to walk over there and take a poke at him with my rifle, you know? And then you close that distance to you know 2,000 yards and he spooks I think that if someone gave you a set of GPS coordinates on a deer and a bunch of thick brush in Illinois and you tried the same thing he'd blow and spook at this you know the same time the same way so I, I just feel like it's like yeah you're just getting a visual confirmation of something you knew you knew to be true about them being paranoid but what I love about coos deer is just that is that being able to see them and watch them, you know, it's like, I think as much as I like coos deer and I've hunted coos deer out three or four times now, um, for long trips, you know, full, full hunts. What I like about them is, is I can't tell the difference between liking the deer and liking the place that they live. It's just so fun to be out in that. It's, you know, it's desert country, but there's a lot of topography. Um, you can see a lot of ground. You're seeing a lot of wildlife. You know, you're really seeing a lot of deer. It's a chance to sit and if you in a good spot during the rut, you know, you might see a dozen bucks in a day. And it, um, and yeah, it's just, it, it's exhilarating, man. And it's also just a fun way to hunt where you really just can spend a, ton, a lot of time, perhaps a whole day, just sunk into a little hideout on top of a mountain and just all day be surprised by the new things you're seeing. You know, deer that you know have been there in front of you for 10 hours and you finally notice them, you know. It's like if you like to glass and spend time just studying, careful, quiet studying of the landscape, I don't think you can beat that type of hunting, who's deer hunting. You know, it's just it's just like a slowed down way of going about life that's just fun and beautiful, man. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I like so much about it is real similar to what you're talking about is, you know, getting up high on a point and using your binoculars to really look around, try and spot a, you know, a good buck. And, um, you know, a lot of times it may take five or six or seven days, depending on where you're at, to find a buck that you really want to shoot. Um, and, uh, but the things that you get to see in coos deer country, because it is so open, um, and a lot of times you are up high and you have a great visual advantage. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, your involvement with the outdoorsman's in Phoenix. Um, I believe they've been a sponsor of yours for quite a while. Um, how has working with the outdoorsman and their products, uh, in your mind, has it made you a better hunter or how has it changed your style of hunting, say, before you even heard of the outdoorsman? Yeah, that's, it's funny. I tell this story 
often about this is I don't know how it came about, but I got on their mailing list years ago. Okay. Um, and got, it must've been right when it started, uh, when they started publishing Western Hunter magazine and, you know, Western Hunter magazine is very, you know, closely tied in affiliated with, with outdoorsmen's and, uh, and I remember looking through that magazine and seeing these dudes sitting out in the desert with binoculars on a tripod, which at the time I had never seen before. Um, that's like a new tech sort of technology, if you want to call it that way, at least to me. You know what I mean? I had like 10 years ago. I didn't know about doing that. And I remember thinking like, what in the hell are those guys looking for? You know, out in that desert. <laughs> yeah. Like, and why having your binoculars on a tripod? And over the years, like one of the luxuries of being in the business that I'm in and Jay, the business you're in, is that you get to kind of, you know, when you see something that catches your interest or you hear of someone who does something a particular way or has a way they like to hunt, you can usually kind of track them down and talk shop with them, you know. And um, and after seeing that, I got real curious about it. And it was the the guys at Outdoorsman, Floyd Green and Chris Denham and uh, Cody Nelson. We've just, you know, opened up a correspondence and they sent me an adapter to and a tripod they sent me a tripod and an adapter to where i could put my knockers a pair of vortex knockers onto a tripod because they make all these different adapters so you just tell them what you you tell them what binoculars you like to run and they figure out how to you know how to pair you up with a with a tripod and so i remember sitting out there and i started messing around with this and i wasn't messing around with it for koozier but i was messing around with it for mule deer and i'm telling you man i would it doesn't even really suffice to say I spotted tons more game. And it almost would make more sense if I said it this way. I would sit there overlooking a vantage point with, with binoculars on a tripod. And not that I'd see more game, cause I certainly would, but I would see stuff like, um, I'd be like, Oh, there's a quail, you know, a thousand yards away, or just like things you would never in a million years pick up. Pick up a doe bedded yeah. and see her ear flick because, or see a black nose or something. Because you when, – when you're sitting there, like everybody sits, where you sit on your butt, you got your you got your knees up, you got your elbows on your knees, and you're trying as hard as you can to stabilize yourself, right? So you got your feet on the ground so your knees are solid. You got your elbows on your knees so those, so your hands are solid. And you got those binoculars buried into, the, into your face, into your eye sockets to try to like all these points of contact. And you think, like, man, I'm solid, you know, I can really see. But you don't realize how much movement is there. Yeah. Yeah. And so the minute you take out all that, like, breathing and all that kind of garbage that's moving your stuff, and you have it be absolutely stationary, like, what you're looking through is stationary, the movement that you detect that was camouflaged by your own movements is just jumps out at you. And not only that, so you, like, yeah, like you said, like, picking up just, like, flicks of ears you know, movements of feet, just any little thing you're picking up. Also, just like the amount of detail that opens up. And I remember the first time I ever sat with, uh, I went out and it was, I was funny because I was trying, the first time I ever hunted Kuzja, I drew a tag, not a, not a hard to draw tag, like a, like a undersubscribed Kuzja tag in Arizona to hunt in October um, for Kuzja, well ahead of the rut. And it's, you know, it's a hunt anybody could do any year if you felt like it. I drew that tag and, and I remember Jay, I hadn't met you yet. But I was trying to figure out if there's some way we could hunt together. And you you and Dar were uh, busy with some, yeah, yeah. with some of your guiding. And I wound up uh, through Chris Denham at Western Hunter. He he hooked me up with a, with Cody Nelson, who works at the Outdoorsman Shop in Phoenix. And the first day I ever spent glassing for coos deer, I spent it with Cody Nelson. And we're sitting down there with the tripod rig ups. And it was killing me because I've always – taking it for granted that, that like I have a good game eye and I think a good game eye is something that you develop right I don't think it's it's trained yeah, for sure you can have good eyesight right but a lot of people have good eyesight you know if you got poor eyesight and you're not and you don't correct it with contacts or glasses or whatever it's like you're never gonna you, you're probably never gonna get there but you could have pretty fair eyesight and spot more game than the guy with good eyesight 
by knowing what you're doing, knowing what you're looking for. And you're not just looking for animals, but you're looking for patterns and shapes and colors and, and whole animals sometimes and like movement and things that seem out of place and things that just spark a memory about the way antler looks in the sun. You know what I mean? It's like, I, you can't even begin to explain it all, but I've always taken for granted that I have a good game eye and Cody's spotting deer, coos deer that he can't even walk me into. And then I was like, man, these guys got something figured out. And over time, I slowly put it together. On that hunt, I kind of put it together to where now just I know I'm not as good as you, uh, Jay, you, and Dar, because Giannis that I work with, our mutual friend, I think Giannis has a better game eye than I have. And he always talks about how you guys can blow him away. So, like, you know, the whole A equals B equals C kind of thing, I gather that I don't have the game eye you guys have. But that – but that strategy has now – I don't like looking through binoculars that aren't, that aren't on a tripod. Isn't it funny how that works? I mean, yeah. where you think before where you just pop up your tins and now all of a sudden you don't even want to look through them unless they're mounted. No, I know. It makes you go slower. But I'm telling you what, that's another thing. We were talking about hunting coos deer and just having a good game eye and stuff. When you spend a day sitting in coos deer country – you know, let me preface this with saying something else. The other day I was having a conversation with a guy. We were, having, we were talking hunting, as I'm prone to do. And we were talking about how, like, everybody sort of has the thing they like to do, right? Like, you got your main thing. Maybe you like to hunt archery with your bow, you know, in your home mountain range. Or maybe you hunt your buddy's farm for whitetails, and that's, like, your thing. Every year you do your thing. And you get better and better at doing your thing because you do that specific thing all the time. And we were having a, a discussion about whether or not going to new places and having experiences that are completely unrelated to, like, your thing, whether that helps you do it better, you know? Like, if you just try to hunt whitetails in agricultural land with a bow and arrow, and then you go on an elk hunt with a rifle out in Idaho, does that Idaho trip, like, make you a better hunter when you're back on that farm hunting whitetails with a bow? You know, we are kind of, like, talking about this. It seems like a stupid thing to talk about. That's what we were talking about. And I'm telling you, glassing, like with that setup, tripod, binoculars for coos deer, and then sitting there looking at a hillside all day, and then six, seven hours into the day, seeing a buck that's laying there eye level with you in what all of a sudden seems like plain sight, and you realize that he's been there all day and you didn't notice him. The whole time, yeah. It changes your entire perspective on looking for animals and i don't care if where you hunt or whatever you sit there and you realize it does not suffice to just stop and stand there and take a quick scan with your binoculars and then move on because there aren't any elk sheep whatever that you had to be looking for you do not know what's there from having a quick scan you, know, right. you need to pick land apart and I, from hunting coos deer, I learn, man, and I take it to every kind of hunting I do, that, that when you see what it requires to hide a deer and you think about every kind of thing you've ever looked for, it's like you realize you have to put in your time and study that ground because you miss so much, you know? Yeah, I mean, I always say guys that are coos deer hunters um, can take those tactics anywhere in the world and be successful. And even, even in areas that are thick, okay? Um, maybe you can't see as far, but you still take that mentality of picking things apart, detail oriented, you know, trying to get a full grasp of the whole, you know, what's around you. I think that's, you know, I think some coos deer hunters take it for granted because they're just, it's so ingrained in them to be so detail oriented. Yeah. But in the, in reality, it makes, it makes for good hunters. You know, I'll, um, I'll, go ahead, go ahead, you know. Just to like hammer that point home at the, at the at the risk of belaboring a point. The last two springs, I, there's something I wanted to do, where uh, in Alaska you can hunt blue grouse. So blue grouse are like some places they're known as dusky grouse in the mount in the interior mountains. They're known as sooty grouse in the coastal mountains. But it's just a very it's a high country grouse, a big grouse, um, not particularly flighty around people oftentimes when you run into them bow hunting they'll just hop up into a tree but in the spring they hoot sort of like how the males hoot the same way that a big turkey will gobble 
and they hoot from treetops. Most of the places you can't hunt them in the spring, except Alaska, there's a spring season, and they call it spring hooters, okay? And you hunt these birds basically like hunting turkeys. You go out, you listen for a bird hooting, and you head off um, and, and try to go locate them. I did this a year ago and just got hammered by the birds, couldn't find them, you know, because I'd get to where I thought I was hearing them hooting. And it's a mysterious kind of hollow sound that's very hard to pinpoint where it's coming from. But I'd get there and I'd be like, man, it sounds like he's up in that tree, but I don't see him in this, in his big spruce trees, you know, you can't reach around him. But I'd look up in there and be like, well, he's not there, clearly. I must be wrong about what trees. And then I'd kind of wander off in the woods and I'd lose track of them and never find them. This year I went back with someone who's good at it, who's good at finding these blue grouse. And we get under the tree that it sounds like he's in. And this woman, her name is Barbara, gets out a pair of Swarovski binoculars and lays down beneath the tree and basically sets up shop staring into that treetop with binoculars. And I was like, oh, man, we're coos deer hunting now. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, it would take sometimes 45 minutes of staring up into that canopy. And all of a sudden you'd be like, oh, I see a tail. It's twitching when he hoots. And realize that that year before when I had spent five days wasting my time, I was under them the whole time. But I wasn't spending the time it requires to pick game out of cover you know i don't know what the hell i thought i just thought you'd walk up and there he'd be you know and just that meticulous you know just staring man and i think too like still hunting for deer in the east i think if you spent a lot more time looking and a lot less time stepping you'd be shocked at what's laying there you know yeah i i think you're right um Steve, I got a question for you. you. On the Meat Eater TV show, it seems as though you guys are not afraid to sh show struggle. And, you know, for me, when I started watching the Meat Eater, it was refreshing because – and I'm not picking on outdoor television. I'm not picking on, you know, our fellow hunters that are making TV shows. But it – it was so refreshing to me to see you struggle and realize that I go out and hunt and I struggle every day, but it seems as though TV shows don't show struggle. Was that by design to show the struggle or did it just happen? Well, I'm going to answer that in two ways. One is I never, um, making meat eater was never meant to be a reaction to or a reaction against what other guys do. Okay. I didn't look at like what hunting TV is supposed to be like, and then go out and be like, well, I'll make the complete opposite. Like it came, whatever happens on meat eater came from kind of a more honest place than that, where it's just like, I wanted to capture hunts the way they feel to me and the way they play out for me. Okay. So that's one answer. The other answer is this, the, the, the first year we were making meat eater, you know, it's hard to get a TV show up and going. And by the time we got it up and going, we knew we were going to be on air. We had to make like a bunch of shows in a hurry. Okay. And it was a huge financial investment to go out and film shows. You know, it cost a lot of money to film a show. And we had a bunch of Alaska hunts lined up. Uh, and we go up and had a couple successful hunts. And I had drawn a mountain goat tag that year in an area that just is like a hard area to hunt goats. And in this area, they strongly encourage encourage you to only kill billies, okay, which is fine by me. It's good practice. You know, if everybody that had a goat tag shot billies, there'd be more goat tags by a considerable measure, more goat tags available. But anyhow, we go to film this goat hunt. And we didn't have a lot of time. You know, couldn't find a billy, just didn't pick our spot well, didn't hunt the way we should have hunted, on and on and on. And we get done, we're out of time, can't stay any longer, everybody's got to get back, hunt's over, no go, okay? And I was under the impression that we didn't, it couldn't be a show. Like, how could it be a show? We didn't kill a mountain goat. And I'm like, who's going to watch this? You know, we'll be laughed off of TV. 
and the guys I work with, to their credit, and I want to point out too, and I'm talking about like a handful of guys like uh, Dan Doherty that you know, Morgan Mofound that you know. These guys didn't come out of the hunting world. They came out of the storytelling world, okay? They come out of, like, production, TV, film, music, just any, like, producing content, producing stories, you know, producing things that will inspire people or that people will think are beautiful, right? These guys are like, what are you talking about? Who cares? That was a fantastic trip. It's like, that's a great story, you know? And, and I was very nervous about making a show where we didn't get anything. And in the end, we come out with that episode. We call it like skunker number one. We come out with that episode and fans loved the episode or a vocal majority of fans loved the episode. The people that took the time to write in loved the episode. The only negative email I got about that episode was a guy saying, I have enough failure in my life. If I want to see failure <laughs> on TV, I'll go elsewhere. Or like, <laughs> it's like, dude, that's just sad. <laughs> so... I credit like for making that call and like the struggle thing and showing your own stupid mistakes. Like I saw myself get run over by a moose because I shot a moose and ran after it and it didn't have a shell chambered and got plowed over by a bull. It's like, yeah, I'm like, okay, I'm going to show that because why not? You know, it happened. Or, or, or when the Latvian lover gets almost eaten by a bear. Yep. Just mistakes, dumb things, or not so dumb things, bad luck, dumb things, you name it. I just put it in oh. there now because I find that people, I find that people like it, and I find it just refreshing, man. And it's like, you know, the fact that people will still watch um, is to me a testament to sort of the quality of our fans, you know. And I think that there's a point where I could probably exhaust it. If I ran twelve skunkers in a row, yeah, it'd get <laughs> to be real trouble. But yeah. When I just to go back to what hunting's real like, and I'm sure Jay, in many aspects of your life, you can attest to this. When I was a kid, you had you you could start hunting deer with a bow October one. You could hunt deer up to like November seven or something. So there's there's five or six weeks. Then you have a two week rifle season. Rifle season ends. You can keep hunting with your bow up to the new year. If you got a deer a year, you were doing good. So how many skunk trips is that? It's like hunting is not going out every day and killing something. It's just not, man. Not for most of the people in this country. So when these guys who are hunting like real land out there got to watch you sitting, you know, out there and be like passing up giant buck after giant buck after giant buck. Yeah. On one hand, they'd be like, man, I'd like to hunt that place someday. But on the other hand, they're like, wow, this does not represent my experience in the woods. You know, so I just think that people, if it's done well, I think that people are pretty open to seeing a skunk hunt because if they weren't open to seeing skunk hunts, they wouldn't go hunting. Yeah, because you're not killing stuff every day. I mean, how many days do you spend out on a hunt per, a per kill? You a more lot. than anybody. You'll spend 30 days. Yeah. And that, 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 the guy that pulls the trigger. That leads me to kind of what I wanted to ask you next. And. I don't really know how to say it other than there's this whole thing between trophy hunters and meat hunters. And, and it's like this perceived thing. And my perception of, I will say first and foremost, I am a trophy hunter and I am a meat, meat hunter. Um, but I would say that I particularly enjoy spending a lot of time to hunt one animal and trying to find the best animal that I can find, whether it's, you know, something with the most characteristic rack, you know, the most mature buck, whatever it is. In your mind, why is there, and, and I know the whole preface of your show is based on meat hunting and, and being a, 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 you know, meat eater, which I believe most all hunters are. But my question would be, why is there a perceived notion that trophy hunting, that there's something wrong with trophy hunting, Steve? You know, man, I wish we had an hour to talk about this subject because it's a very difficult subject to get into. I'll point out that I have never, okay, I have never in anything I've written, in any show I've done, ever taken some sort of cheap shot thing about like distinguishing myself from a trophy hunter and there's a couple reasons why for starters 
I respect the trophy elements of the animals I hunt. If you walk into my home, you will be greeted by many, my wife would argue too many, (laughs) skulls, rugs, hides, antlers, everywhere you look, okay? These are hunting trophies. These are things that I hunted an animal and retained all of the things from the animal that I have a use for that are good to use. The meat, for me, my family, for my friends, for people that I know that enjoy getting it and I like to give it to them, okay? The oftentimes hides for my friends who have requested one to decorate their home with or hides and antlers and skulls that I'll use to decorate my own home because when I walk around my home, rather than seeing like pieces of artwork done by people that I don't know or that don't really mean anything to me on a deeply personal level, I get to see these emblems of the animals that I hunted that live in eternity and perpetuity inside my home, and I constantly look at them and remember those things, okay? It's a way that I pay homage to the animals, all right, through the trophies. It's like there's a great debate or or misunderstanding about what we're talking about when we talk about trophies. What I think is going on with this debate, why I think this is becoming like an issue, is I think that when people who don't hunt hear the word trophy hunter, the image they get in their head, the image they conjure is somehow it's a person who doesn't respect the animal, just wants its antlers or head for bragging rights or to make him, as they always say, like to make him feel like a man and doesn't care about the animal, doesn't respect it as a resource, just looks at it as a like a, a, a thing to conquer and then and then cut part off of and use that part to show how cool he is. That's what that term has come to mean in the popular imagination. I think that anyone who has exposure to a trophy hunter of the sort that I am friends with and of the sort that I partially am we'll see that more often than not, it winds up being a person who likes to spend a great amount of time in the outdoors, may have become such a skilled hunter that if they just killed the first legal animal they saw, their hunting seasons would not last that long, and they want to prolong them. And they want to rack up a tremendous number of sightings and experiences And they want to have the enhanced challenge of only killing males that are at or near the end of their life cycle and have reached as big of a size as they're going to get and maybe aren't even genetically useful to the species anymore. It's not because they're out trying to, like, prove a point and kill something and and they're savages. It might just be because they've reached a deeper state of appreciation for hunting and the process is involved. Now, if that person does do what, what is in this country illegal to do and does shoot an animal and, and lets it go to waste, he's breaking the law. Not only is he violating the moral code, he's violating the legal code. And if he gets caught, he's going to get prosecuted. And quite honestly, he's breaking the hunter's code. Yeah, more, he's breaking moral and he's like, you know, legal and ethical law. But it's just has become like I think that the trophy hunting world hasn't done a good job of explaining themselves because they shouldn't be getting so bashed up in the popular media. And I think that they need to work a little harder to try to identify and articulate what it is they're doing, or they don't care. I would argue, and it's part of the thing that I've tried to make part of my message and stuff, is is trying to find a way and, and trying to deal with the nuisance and the inconvenience of explaining your lifestyle to people who might not understand it and who might be opposed to it, you know, because, you know, we live in a democracy, man. And as hunters, we need to have a strong PR division. We need to do a good job of explaining ourselves because we'll frankly get shut down. We'll get shut down through referendums and laws if we don't do a good job. I'm not talking about altering your practices necessarily, but I'm talking about, you know, keeping in mind what you look like. 
and keeping in mind what you sound like and taking the time to articulate what you do. Trophy hunters have just been doing a bad job of that. I also think that, like, I, I put a strong emphasis on wild game and meat, right? The show is called Meat Eater. And I didn't call it the show Meat Eater. Like, when I think of the word Meat Eater, I think when you're a kid and you're looking at books and they've got a picture of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh-huh. that's a meat eater. You know? Yeah. It's like, it's just a cool term to me. But, yeah, man, that's, for, as a hunter, that's where I'm coming from. Like, for me, the great pleasure for me is hunting for my food. And in a way, when I have a trophy, like a bear rug in my wall, on my wall, that bear rug is also not just a symbol of the animal, but the symbol of an animal wisely used. You know, if I shot a bear and, it, and just let the whole bear go to waste and then hung the skull up or set the skull on my bookshelf, I would look at that skull not as a thing of pride, but as a thing of shame. You know, because to me, it feels right. Right. My relationship with that bear is right. And I know it came from the right place and it's good for me. So, yeah, man, you know, sure. I'll I'll put trophy hunter next to my name if I'm given a couple minutes to explain what I mean by that. I'll tell you another thing, like in the in the late 1800s, early 1900s, this guy by the last name of Stephenson, this Arctic explorer, made first contact with a bunch of Eskimo hunters up in the Canadian high Arctic, like around Coronation Gulf and Victoria Island. And he found that they'd kill a polar bear and bring the polar bear's head home and set the head in their lodge. What they felt on a spiritual sense is they felt that that polar bear would, in the afterlife, go and explain to other polar bears that the guy was not a bad guy. Okay, they'd be like, if you're going to get killed by somebody, get killed by him. I've been to his home. He's a nice guy. <laughs> and I'm not saying it like I don't think that's what happens. But in some way, I feel like like to let the emblem of the animal be antlers or whatever to sort of like waste it to me feels as bad as wasting the meat. Yeah. Give it as great of a place of honor as you can in your home. How it should be that you that it's like a negative for you to have some taxidermy in your home of the animals you've hunted, how that's ever been taken to be a negative is absurd to me that it's like, Oh, he, he like, he's a bad guy because he likes to have in his home reminders of the wonderful animals that he's had the privilege of being near and of hunting for. To me, it's like, he must be, you know, I look at him like, Hey man, he's got a lot of respect for the game. You know, that, that's one thing that jumps in my head. That was, a, I think, a very good explanation of, of my question, a very good answer of my question. Um, Steve, I know you've, you guys have been working on some books or a series of books. Um, I think they're scheduled to be coming out here pretty soon. Can, what can you tell me about them? Oh, man. If I need an hour for trophy. <laughs> we need two hours. So over the last few years, myself, Giannis Putellis, uh, Dan Doty, a lot of other guys from the Meat Eater team, a lot of guys, outdoorsmen's guys, um, have helped on this. Many other people, many top hunters from around the country, Jay Scott included, have contributed to a very ambitious project that we did with Spiegel and Grau, which is a division of Random House, to do the complete guide to hunting, butchering, and cooking wild game. The book is so long when we got it done that it's coming out in two volumes. Volume one covers big game. Volume two covers small game. Volume one's 400 pages long. Volume two is 350 pages long. So 750 pages of fully illustrated content. I have a reputation, like you mentioned earlier, you know, wild game cooking. Um, but the books are much, much more than that. The books are each book is divided into five sections. Section one is gear. Okay, so big game gear, small game gear, depending if you're volume one or volume two. Um, everything from expert hunters such as Jay weighing in on their personal preferences um, to just pretty factual, fact-based, um, objective information about how to use certain pieces of equipment, what kinds of equipment you can do with, what kinds of equipment you can do without ranging from footwear to optics to firearms to archery equipment, cutlery, everything, okay? That's section one. Section two will cover tactics tactics and strategies, 
meaning thorough breakdowns on some of the basic principles of hunting, like public land and private land strategies, how to get permissions, how to make use of mapping technology to find hunting locations, how to avoid hunting pressure, how to make hunting pressure work for you, what are the differences between spot and stalk hunting, still hunting, ambush hunting, decoying, calling, like a complete breakdown of all these, all this terminology and know-how. Section three covers the species. So in the big game volume, we cover detailed information on 14 of the most popular North American big game species. Jay has a great piece in there about uh, bighorns. We cover how to draw, like how to think about draw tags, how to pursue draw tags, how to devote your life to getting one bighorn sheep tag, how to call whitetails, how to stalk mule deer, on and on and on. Section four covers butchering and section five covers recipes and cooking. When we started these books, I thought it would take eight months. It took three years. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard from Giannis throughout the process of how detailed and, and how, I mean, it's basically everything you want to know about hunting in two volumes. Yeah, and it's like I get asked, is it for experienced hunters or is it for novice hunters? Yes and yes. It's like I just I honestly I'm not just pulling your chain, man. It's like take a look and judge for yourself. I feel like it's for both because we have the space there to have it be so big that it's for both. And I want to tell you, experienced hunters, and I'll even say this to you, Jay. Devoted much of your life to hunting. You will find I don't want to tell you you're gonna find something new on every page. You will find something on every second page that surprises you. Because it's just like the, the the resources we were able to draw upon and the amount of people I was able to talk to and putting it together, I just think there's like surprising information throughout the book. And the same thing, like that Jay and I are sitting right, it's like we're sitting here right now just talking about stuff, right? Before we started doing this interview or conversation, we were talking about some stuff fishing in Michigan, right? You're like, you can know your stuff inside and out, but the minute you start hearing from some other guys, you always hear about new stuff you haven't thought of before. You know, I think it's a rewarding book for either or I think absolutely valuable for people who are just starting to get into hunting and are just kind of baffled by it. And maybe they didn't grow up around it. And it's a great way to get up to speed on some things that might take you years to figure out. But I think that even an experienced hunter is going to look at it and find stuff that's just a little bit surprising to them or that's just interesting, you know, um, good trivia, good just just stuff, man. I, I, I like. I don't want to sound like too much of a salesman here, but I feel very, very happy with with how they turned out. It's I can look people in the eye and say that it's an honest product. There's no BS in it. It's just like a good. It's well worth your money, you know, to check the books out. And I say that with all honesty, man. It, it's just like I'm very happy with how they turned out. That's awesome. When is it coming out, and where can people find it? Volume one comes out in August. That's big game. Volume two, small game comes out in December. You can pre-order them both now on Amazon. Okay. It um, sounds like an awesome project. I can't wait to check it out. And um, I, I know the amount of work and the detail that's gone into it, and I'm excited to see it. Jay, Scott, uh, Jay Scott's ugly face is in it. <laughs> oh, gosh. The ratings <laughs> just spiraled. Um, We're gonna see, my publisher's going to be like, why was there a lot of unorders yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, canceled. Um, awesome, buddy. I can't wait to see it, and it's always great talking to you. I appreciate the time you spent with us today. Uh, I think I feel like we could talk for hours and hours and hours. I'll come back, I, I'll, I'll come back on any time, man. I, uh, I love it. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to have you on. I love listening to the Meat Eater podcast. Uh, for my listeners out there, if you haven't caught the Meat Eater podcast, you you need to. It's uh, uh, something I look forward to every episode that comes out, and you guys do a great job with that. And um, I'm actually, Dar and I are actually on uh, an episode coming up sometime. Yep. What, uh, you know, do you have any kind of scheduling or know when that's coming out? Or no, is that one of those things that Jay Scott's on it? So let's uh, let's bury that no, one so don't, the ratings don't. We don't, don't bury any of them. It'll come out. We've been rec we record them a little fast and we release them, but it's there. We'll, we will let you know when it's out. And I, I want to just close by saying to your listeners, like seriously, I was joking, kind of. 
<laughs> about Jay Scott's paranoia. It is instructional. <laughs> it is instructional paranoia. And I, the the times we, the, the, the small amount of time we got to spend out hunting the woods. And like, I honestly learned a lot. Jay. Well, I appreciate that, Steve. Jay can sit Indian style, or as my kids call it, crisscross applesauce. <laughs> Without moving longer than you can, I don't care who you are. He can do it for longer than you can. Amigo, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been fun. It's inspiring to watch this man sit cross-legged in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I might not be able to get up, but I can sit there. Um, right. It's been awesome having you on, buddy. Uh, look forward to the next time, and keep up all the great work, okay? Thanks. I'll come anytime. All right, buddy. Take care. Guys, that was a great episode with Steve Ranella of the Meat Eater TV on the Sportsman's Channel. Uh, hopefully, we're going to have Steve on again and, and talk more hunting, talk more fishing. Uh, it's uh, great to watch the success that they've had with their show and with their podcast. If you haven't checked them out, you need to. Uh, go to TheMeatEater.com. Uh, you check their uh, TV show out on the Sportsman's Channel. Check their podcast out. You can go to their website. Uh, TheMeatEater.com. They can be found on iTunes uh, and, and a number of the podcast platforms. Uh, as entertaining as the show is, the podcast is is ever bit as popular. So, guys, I want to encourage you to check out uh, what they've got going on. Also, they've got a great book coming out that you heard about in this episode. You can go to TheMeatEater.com to uh, pre-order that book and check it out. Uh, I just want to thank Steve for being on. I'm excited about having him on again. Uh, guys, I want to thank you, my listeners, uh, for all the support and all the positive comments and, and emails that I get. Uh, got great positive comments on iTunes and, and great five-star ratings. I get emails every day from you guys telling me how much you love the podcast and Quite honestly, we're just going to keep the pedal mashed down to the floor here, and uh, we're going to continue to bring you uh, great information and, and great guests, and I just want to thank all the guests that I've had on. I think we're on our 53rd episode now, and um, it's just uh, clicking right along, and the feedback from you, the listeners, has been phenomenal. Uh, we are growing uh, exponentially daily, and uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of subscribers, and uh, I just want to thank thank you guys. If you're listening to the show for the first time and you're not a subscriber of the podcast, uh, let me tell you what you get by being a subscriber here. Now, if you subscribe, you automatically get the episodes when I download them to my server. So if you don't subscribe, and, and there are some of you that don't subscribe and you just come on and listen to the episodes, and that's fine too. But if you subscribe, you automatically get them downloaded to your device so you get to hear them uh, right away. So guys, if you need to or want to send me comments and questions, uh, you can at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. That's my email address. Uh, thank you for all the support on the Instagram page at jscottoutdoors, my associate Dar Colburn. Uh, and also you can follow us on our J. Scott Outdoors Facebook page, jscottoutdoors.com, uh, J. Scott Outdoors YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is also growing daily. Uh, I want to say we have like a million, five or six uh, uh, views. And uh, it's, uh, there's some great content there, uh, field judging elk, uh, elk bugling, how to call elk, uh, a lot of desert bighorn sheep photos, coos deer photos, mule deer videos. Um, there's some instructional stuff, some educational stuff, some um, some just kind of how-to stuff. And um, a lot of our hunts uh, from the Gould's turkey to uh, all sorts of turkeys to elk to deer to sheep. Um, a lot of fishing stuff on there. So go check it out on our YouTube channel. Guys, just thank you for, our, for your support. And I want to thank sponsors. Uh, GoHunt.com forward slash insider and DeadeyeOutfitters.com. And until next week, guys, or until the next episode, God bless you.
Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card when signing up for the GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.